Welcome to C. diff, spores, and more with your host, Nancy Kerala. We are here to discuss C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and other related healthcare topics. Now, here's your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome to the program, and thank you so much for joining us today on C. diff, spores, and more. We would like to take this opportunity to thank our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare. Visit the Clorox Healthcare website, www.cloroxhealthcare.com, to learn more about keeping environments safer with Clorox Healthcare. Today, we are um, going to be discussing pharmacist role in C. diff stewardship with our special guest, Dr. Gerlich. Dr. Gerlich is here today to describe the role of the clinical pharmacist or rounding pharmacist. He will also discuss how clinical pharmacists are involved in the treatment and prevention of C. difficile infections. Dr. Anthony Gerlich, PharmD, is a surgical ICU clinical pharmacist and professor of pharmacy at the Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center. Right now, it's a pleasure to introduce Dr. Gerlich to the program. Welcome to the program, Dr. Gerlich. Thank you, Nancy, and thank you for inviting me to participate today. Um, as you said, um, my job is as a surgical ICU clinical pharmacist, and I also have a um, professorship at the College of Pharmacy across the street. So my day in and day out practice is actually working hand-in-hand with the healthcare team in our surgical ICU, and that includes an intensivist or a physician specifically trained in taking care of critically ill or ICU patients. Um, those physicians and training fellows, um, the surgical residents and interns, um, the bedside nurses, the respiratory therapists, pharmacists in training, dietitians, physical, occupational, and speech therapists, and really working as a team to work together um, in all aspects of care for those that actually need to be in the ICU. Um, and it can be a little hectic time recently with um the coronavirus going out, but we still have to do our part to take care of our other patients. Um, Also part of my job is um, education, and I put a a lot of teaching, a lot of didactic or standard lecturing to the pharmacy students, but as well as more um, clinical or one-on-one teaching with um, those pharmacy um, pharmacists that are doing specialized training as well as training to the other healthcare professionals, um, respiratory therapists, nurses, and the physicians in particular. And then finally, I tried to do a lot of research as well. And the question is, um, from one of my mentors, is saying, you know, part of, part of the reason you do research is your gift to the world to help expand our knowledge. And spe- specifically, some of the research we've done on C. diff is what we can do to actually um, either prevent or treat um, this devastating illness. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Gullick, for sharing that with us. And we'd also applaud you for being awarded the Joseph and Ray Brown Award by SCCM for advancing multi-professional quality care for critically ill and injured patients at the regional and local level. So we applaud you for that, and, and we're so glad you're here today. And Dr. Gerlich, if you wouldn't mind just explaining to our listeners, um, most people are familiar with retail pharmacists, and overseas they call them chemists. What role do hospital pharmacists play? Well, that's, I I think, a very good question and a very common misconception. And I will say for um, most of my career, and I've been at Ohio State now for over 22 years, especially the first five years or so, my family had no idea of what I did as as well. And, you know, this has been my career, you know, for over 20 years. And I think um, one of the things a lot of people are surprised and it's starting to come out to light is especially in the ICU setting, pharmacists are an integral role of um, helping manage patients. We're the ones that are specially trained to actually understand um, the mechanism of action of drugs, um, the nuances with drug dosing, um, the nuances of drug interactions, as well as um, educating people and looking for adverse effects. Unfortunately, 
any drug or any um, herbal product that you take for some sort of effect, whether it be a vitamin, whether it be an antibiotic, or whether it be expensive chemotherapy, has both good effects and bad side effects. And our job is to help to maximize um, the beneficial effects and minimize the um, side effects of any of these things, even if they're considered in the United States more herbal supplements. In addition, most people think that um, pharmacists are the ones who are help dispensing medications. And why we, there are a lot of people who dispense medications is we need to be specially trained to one to make sure anything IV is actually made um, correctly and sterilely. We don't want to do any harm to our patients that way. And I think burgeoning and what's coming out in the last 25 or 30 years, you, you started to see in the United States and now it's taking care of worldwide as more of this concept of I'm a clinical pharmacist. Um, and that's more of a hands-on, I'm working with a team. And in addition, a lot of pharmacists help are the chief um, medication safety officer for their institution. So looking at how we can prevent adverse effects from happening to the patients, as well as a lot of people are in administration. In fact, um, one of our chief um, um, CEOs is actually a pharmacist at our institution as well. So there's a lot of roles that we play. That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Dr. Gerlich. And Doctor, how did you choose or, and um, go into becoming a clinical pharmacist? That's a, a very good question. Like most people, when I was going to college and decided to go to look at um, universities that had a college of pharmacy, and at that time there was probably about 100 in the United States, I thought like most people that uh, a pharmacist is what you saw at your um, pharmacy or drug store or um, grocery store, the person who sat behind the counter and filled the prescriptions and dispensed the medications for the doctor um, that prescribed them. And it was through school that I actually learned that pharmacists do a lot more. And one of them is this role of being more of a clinical pharmacist. And how I like to describe it to people is it's more of a hands-on role. So my job isn't necessarily the dispensing um, key of medications. I um, like to say, and thank gosh for all of our pharmacy technicians, and I want to give them um, a special shout out because I don't think they're um, regarded enough and play a vital role. And they allow me, because they do a good job of dispensing medications, to be out there and be more of the face to pharmacy um, for my surgical ICU team. And really that's my job, is I'm there to help go on rounds and have a different point of view and have this team effect and make sure that we're looking at um, drug interactions. Is this the right drug? Is there a better drug? Is there something that's more safe for the patient or more effective as well as dosing medications correctly? Now, how did I go and choose to be a clinical pharmacist? Is when I was actually learning in school, I actually thought to myself, I'm, I'm like most um, pharmacists who tend to be a little bit more um, not out there and a little bit more quiet. I, I actually have a very um, extroverted personality, and I thought working as a clinical pharmacist would allow some of my skills, including me being out front and being um, involved with the surgeons, um, the ability to actually using all my talents and skills to the highest level. And I think, I think being a clinical pharmacist requires a lot, just like physicians who go to school um, for four years to undergrad and four years um, for medical school, they have to um, go through the residency training. And I think that's one of the things that was starting as I was coming out over 20 years ago is doing um, postgraduate training. And I think um, to become a clinical pharmacist nowadays, you typically tend to go through some postgraduate training, a a year of a general residency, and then a year of specialization. And I took mine, even though I um, went through cardiology, I was able to move to critical care and considered myself an ICU or critical care pharmacist now. 
Thank you so much, Dr. Garlic, for sharing all of that. And Doctor, you are an ICU clinical pharmacist, and can you share with us why you chose to work with the surgeons? Oh, definitely. I When I first was looking for their jobs, one of the things that I like um, with l- looking with the surgeons is um, they're a little bit more standoffish at first, but once you get to know surgeons and understand their role, um, there's a vital way and a big um, transfer of knowledge that we have to understand from each other. I have, from them, have learned a lot, especially about surgical procedures, and sometimes especially with people with um, severe C. diff, you actually have to understand how their anatomy is different because of surgery. In addition, they need someone like me who needs to learn about that so I can make sure that we get the most effective and the most effective routes of medications for them. And so I like how there's um, this ability to work with the team with them and understand that we both have different points of view and working together how we can have the best outcomes for our patients. Okay. And doctor, before we go to break, um, can you just describe again what educational opportunities uh, you were able to perform Oh, there's a variety of them. I think what's nice around here and especially at Ohio State is we're really big on interprofessional education or having education with the medical doctors, um, the nurse practitioners, the nurses, the respiratory therapists, and all the different healthcare professionals. Some of the things that we um, do is not only teach other pharmacists and those pharmacists and pharmacy residency, but I've been able to take on rotation with me um, some of the fellows from the surgical ICU, so right before they're attending their final specialization, or nurse practitioner fellows that are also um, specializing in critical care, and um, for them to actually understand the role that drug or pharmacotherapy plays in treating patients. And um, one of the feedbacks from actually one of um, the surgical fellows, he goes, Tony's was my favorite reason or rotation because I learned the why of why we do the things behind the scenes. And I think it's those educational opportunities as as in things like um, this talk to lay people, talks to uh, professional groups or meetings or even more um, didactic or standard college lectures to actually um, help everyone um, increase their knowledge base so we can use drugs most effectively. Thank you so much for sharing all of that, Dr. Gerlich. And at this time, we are going to pause for a commercial break. When we return, we will continue discussing the pharmacist role in C. diff stewardship with our guest, Dr. Anthony Gerlich, PharmD. Stay tuned. We will return right after these messages. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. Join us on Saturday, November 14th at 8 a.m. Eastern Time for the 8th Annual International C. diff Virtual Conference and Health Expo. For details and to register, please visit cdiff2020.com. Again, that's cdiff2020.com. Or contact the C. diff Foundation at 727-205-3922. We look forward to meeting you online on November 14th and meeting you in person in November 2021 in Boston, Massachusetts at the Hilton Boston Logan Airport Hotel. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. 
It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean, dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. And welcome back to the program, and thanks for joining us today on C. diff, spores, and more. We're here today with our special guest, Dr. Anthony Gerlich, PharmD, as he discusses pharmacist role in C. diff stewardship. Thank you so much again, doctor, for joining us today. Welcome back to the program. Thank you very much, Nancy. You are welcome. And, Doctor, I know that we review this quite often being um, C. diff spores and more, but if you wouldn't mind taking a moment for our listeners around the world um, and explain what is a C. diff infection? No problem. C. diff or Clostridium difficile is actually a bacteria that makes up part of our own microbiota or part of the bacteria that lives in our um, intestines. Specifically, C. diff lives in our large intestine or our colon, and it's part of what we call our normal flora. What happens, though, is it's resistant to a lot of antibiotics, and when you have an overgrowth of the C. diff, it can cause you to be sick with an infection, which is most commonly associated with a watery diarrhea. And these are people that all have to go to the restroom because of the diarrhea multiple, multiple, multiple times a day. And um, it's something um, to keep in mind. It's often a side effect of those antibiotics that are often prescribed just in case. And the downside about that disinfection just in case, even though you might not need an antibiotic, is that you can have this C. diff infection and it can cause many, many, many problems. Okay, thank you so much, doctor. And doctor, what is the range of severity of C. diff infections? That's a very good um, follow-up question. People with C. diff infections can range to, you know, just having... um, multiple days of um, diarrhea to people who are severely ill. We often call those people who are severely septic or have this clinical term sepsis. And basically what sepsis is, is it's an infection causing an organ damage. Oftentimes they have a very, very, very low blood pressure and it, um, they'll come into the ICU where I work and they'll have to... Um, have medications uh, such as a vasopressor to help increase their blood pressure. You might have um, a, acute kidney injury or going into kidney failure associated with it. You might have respiratory dysfunction such as um, the bad respiratory disease that we see in people with COVID infections to put it in more timely um, node, or more timely aspects. So these people tend to be really sick with a lot of organs out. And those are tend to be the ones that I see predominantly, although some of these patients with C. diff infections um, can be managed easily at home. It just depends the severity of your infection. And when we really look at infections, what we don't really know is why one person gets one disease and gets a mild case, for example, strep throat, and another person gets the same bacteria and it causes them to have a necrotizing infection and they have to lose one of their limbs. And that's what we don't know. So it's your response to that infection that we don't really understand at this point in time. And why do people get deathly sick and some people don't? We don't know at this point in time. Okay, doctor. And um, I just want to ask you, uh, a lot of patients, do they end up coming back into the hospital like repetitive times uh, after being originally treated for the C. diff infection? Um, that's a good question is this um, repeat course. We used to think you, you did not get that back, you know, 15, 10 years ago. But we, we noticed that recurrence is, is quite common in these people. And I think it's having this understanding of our um, 
normal GI or bacteria that live in our GI tract and the normal flora or their microbiota and the range that we see with these people. And yes, we do see people with recurrent C. diff infections. I think the nice thing is hopefully that is um, decreasing some since we know some of the triggers to C. diff infection as well as different ways that we might be able to um, prevent it or use medications to help decrease some of these recurrent rates, which includes some of our newer antibiotics such as fidoxamycin or Diposid, um, a drug called bezlotoximab, which actually um, helps target the toxin that the C. diff bacteria produces that cause um, all the problems in your um, large intestine or your colon, as well as um, we can talk on it later on to um, about decreasing acid suppression if we don't need it. So I think a lot of these things actually, um, we have a better understanding now than what we did 10 years ago. Although I did have a patient um, probably about 10 to 12 years ago that actually had an elective colectomy or their colon taken out because they had um recurrent C. diff too many times. And I, hopefully that is something that we don't have to do anymore because that's the devastating part of this really nasty disease. Exactly. Thank you so much, doctor. And how do you interact with surgeons and ICU team for C. diff treatments? That's a very good question. I think number one, what I try to do in my own clinical practice is understand are these antibiotics really needed or are we just trying to prevent some infection and the data out there is not needed? So, for example, um, the Surgical Infection Society just came out with recommendations that people with a facial fracture after a car crash do not need prolonged um, like a week worth of antibiotics to prevent an infection. And so the longer you're on antibiotics, the more likely you are to get C. diff. And yeah, one day probably is not going to increase your risk, but one day plus one day plus one day plus one day plus one day all the way for a week or longer is going to dramatically increase your risk. So one is really knowing the indication. Is this um, preventative, empiric, or actually treatment? And two is doing a lot of education um, out there. For a lot of infections, we know that um, shorter is better. So, for example, if you have um, uh, ICU-acquired pneumonia, that seven days of therapy is just as good as 14 days. Well, that's going to cut down your rate for C. diff. Um, we know if you get your, what I see a lot of intra-abdominal infections because they might have been in a car accident or they might have had an ulcer that perforated, that if you had surgical correction, five days of therapy is just as good as 10 days. So making sure that we work and teaching the doctors what's the stop date of antibiotics. Two is um, can we use a narrower spectrum, so antibiotics that might only kill a small amount of bacteria versus um, more broad spectrum that's more likely to cause C. diff is how you interact. And I think that's where we talked in our earlier segment as well as that education comes into play um, with this is keeping the antibiotics on for the shortest amount of time to actually get the therapeutic effect that doesn't increase the harms to the patient. Wonderful. Thank you so much, doctor. And doctor, we have four minutes before we go to commercial break. And would you mind explaining what exactly is antimicrobial stewardship? Very good. Antimicrobial stewardship is just kind of some of these things I was just talking about. It's the um, job to actually help us steward or use antibiotics most effectively. And that includes um, not using prolonged um, prophylaxis or just as needed antibiotics for some of these things that we don't need antibiotics for. Um, in the outpatient world, since most ear infections are caused by viruses and antibiotics don't work on viruses, not prescribing antibiotics for an ear infection or a sinus infection unless you're having more signs of a bacterial infection. In addition, it's using the right um, drug at the right dose, so making sure um, 
we use it most effectively with dosing as well as what I was just talking about, um, using it for the shortest amount of time and not keeping antibiotics on for a long, long, long period of time when it's probably not even needed. Okay. And doctor, before we go to break, if you wouldn't mind just briefly um, overview of roles that the pharmacist can play in an antimicrobial stewardship. Oh, there are multiple, multiple roles. I think one of our jobs as a pharmacist is we're uniquely positioned to work and also be the bridge between um, other disciplines. So myself with the surgeons and the infectious disease doctors to make sure that um, we're all on the same page as well as we, we have a lot of education. I think one of the things um, as we're learning more and more, med school is still only four years, and you can't know everything. So a lot of what I do is education, educating the physicians on not only just the simplistic things, is what antibiotic covers what pathogen, but also how long we treat most of these infections, such as pneumonia or urinary tract infections, as I was talking about. In fact, I'm I have some education on that topic tomorrow, and I think one of the nice slides that I make is this less is more concept, that less days of antibiotics are just as um, useful as longer effects for most patients and most types of infections, and trying to spread the word out that you need, do you really need these antibiotics? And then as the finer points is if you're on a very, very, very broad antibiotic that's going to cover a lot of different types of bacteria, including the um, big, diverse um, effect in your GI tract or your normal flora, can we use something that's narrow spectrum that might only cover a couple antibiotics so you don't have that overgrowth of C. diff and you get this horrible C. diff disease associated with that. And um, and I think now, especially with this concept of rapid diagnostics and knowing quicker what the causative bacteria is out there and a lot of the at least more... Um, genomics of there or their DNA to help you predict resistance is actually starting that sooner and sooner, making sure you get the most narrow spectrum antibiotic in a timely manner to help prevent some of these infections to begin with. Wonderful information. Thank you so much for educating our listeners across the globe today, doctor. And at this time, we're going to pause for a commercial break. When we return, we will continue discussing the pharmacist role in C-DIP stewardship with our special guest, Dr. Anthony Gerlich, PharmD. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Join us on Saturday, November 14th at 8 a.m. Eastern Time for the 8th Annual International C. diff Virtual Conference and Health Expo. For details and to register, please visit cdiff2020.com. Again, that's cdiff2020.com. Or contact the C. diff Foundation at 727-205-3922. We look forward to meeting you online on November 14th and meeting you in person in November 2021 in Boston, Massachusetts at the Hilton Boston Logan Airport Hotel. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. To help support the C. diff Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate, or call toll-free 1-844-4-C-DIFF. That's 1-844-367-2343. 
Join us in our fight against C. diff and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C. diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C. diff awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. You are listening to C. diff spores and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to the program, everyone, and thanks so much for joining us today. Today we have our guest, Dr. Anthony Gerlich, PharmD, here discussing the pharmacist role in C. diff stewardship. Thank you so much for joining us today, Doctor, and welcome back to the program. Thank you very much, Nancy. You are so welcome. Thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. We really appreciate you being here. And Dr. Gerlich, in your clinical practice, what do you think is the most important role of a pharmacist in antibiotic stewardship and C. diff? Um, That's a very good question, Nancy. I think one of the big um, things that pharmacists can do, and especially someone like me who's a clinical pharmacist, is always be there and asking why are you on an antibiotic to begin with. And if you're on an antibiotic, um, really having a plan to how long do you need to be on antibiotics. I think just like everything, we do a good job, especially here in America, of putting things on. Oh, my patient's sick. Um, we're going to give them this new drug, but no one really ever thinks about what the duration should be or should we be able to stop some of those antibiotics. And, I, and I, I'm going to give a shout-out to actually some pharmacists out in South Africa. One of my um, friends helped mentor um, pharmacists from South Africa, and they actually came over um, with a grant to here in the United States to actually see how we practice our hands-on our clinical pharmacy. And um, Debbie was the one saying, you know, your research is your gift to the world. And what she said, well, this isn't free. I'm going to help train you to um, have an impact in South Africa. So there were a variety of pharmacists that came here as well as some of us actually went to South Africa. And I was lucky enough to do that. And what they showed is simply if you were on three or more antibiotics after two days, the pharmacist went and this is talking in a place that most pharmacists are in the dispensing pharmacy are not up on the floor and just asking the simple question, do they need, still need three or more antibiotics? And they were able to show a decrease in their utilization with antibiotics over a period of time and um, actually show um, increased benefits. And I think it's little things like that that we have a huge Roll in and understanding why we're on antibiotics to begin with and if it's really needed or not. And I think we're, we're very important. Our patient has a new fever. Our patient has a new white count. Well, uh, a fever or increase in your white count can be caused by many things that not a lot of them are not even infectious. So always asking why, is this the right question? And if we do have a diagnosis, how long we need to really be, be on them is really one of the most important things we can do, especially with C. Death. Wonderful. I couldn't agree with you more there. And, Doctor, besides antibiotics, are there any other factors you, retu- you, you routinely consider in decreasing C. diff infections? Yes, um, uh, well, some of the things that I consider are also the use of our acid-suppressing agents. Those are drugs including proton pump inhibitors or PPIs, 
drugs like Protonics or Nexium that you see on TV commercials, as well as um, histamine 2 antagonists such as Pepsid um, that you also see on TV commercials. A lot of people are on these medications for a variety of reasons, but most of them don't need to be on them um, every day for the rest of your life. Um, looking at those. And we know that decreasing the stomach acid production in our, in our stomach and increasing the pH or the level of acidity actually has an effect on infections, including C. diff. And if you're constantly on those medications, um, it, it increases your risk. More importantly, data um, out there shows that if you continue these drugs, it actually puts you at a high rate of recurrence. Now, sometimes um, those medications are needed. So you're in that rock and hard space if you have a C. diff infection and you just had a perforated gastric ulcer because you're going to need that PPI typically twice a day to help heal the ulcer. But if you're on it and it, it's just because you might have esophageal reflux, well, do you really need some of those medications? And oftentimes the answer is not. So I think those are one of the um, effects looking at is with this data. Um, do you really need this? And those directly rate to our rates of recurrence. And those are some of the questions that um, it's nice when you work with um, the physicians to actually see them answering themselves. It's like you feel like you're a proud papa when they're the ones bringing it up on rounds and it's not you. So that actually sometimes makes me feel really good that my education is doing a really good job. Absolutely. And that's part of teamwork. And it's really nice to see and hear about it, too. And. Doctor, is there a edu- in, in your educational part, do you routinely conduct um, educating and helping the C. diff stewardship? Oh, definitely. I think that's one of the things to look on. I think as we have drug lists and computers um, that we have here in the United States, one of the things is, is for every problem, we need to make sure that we have a, a drug to treat that, correct? And that might not be the case. And we were just talking about having gastroesophageal reflux disease or GERD. When you look at it, at least in my patient population, over half the patients that come in are either on one of these PPIs or H2s, and sometimes both, which really does not make sense clinically. And for most people, it's just because it's carried forward. And then it's really hard sometimes when you ask the patients, are they taking this daily? For a lot of my ICU patients who might be sedated or, or, you know, very critically ill, they can't really answer this for you. So you never know if they're taking it or not. And when you really look at these um, guidelines for the esophageal reflux disease, they really only recommend you to be on them for, you know, 8 to 12 weeks because it's normally a flare-up. And I, I can safely say the first time I had GERD, I thought I was having a heart attack and it was just stress-related. Um, but I only actually took my medication for probably, I'm not good about taking meds every day, for about two weeks and then I slowly stopped off. But that's what most people should do. And if it's chronic, then you really need to go to your physician um, to say, this is chronic, is there something else that I can do? So that's a lot of the education to look up. And a lot of people think you need to be on acid suppression just because you might not be taking anything by mouth for a variety of reasons um, in the hospital when you, you don't have any other risk factors or you are hospitalized and everyone thinks you should be on them. So trying to um, help with education to really have a good reason why you're on this. And then specifically if you have C. diff, if there's not a good reason such as having a gastric bleed, that do we really need this to help prevent um, reinfection of C. diff? Okay. Thanks so much, Doctor. And Doctor, at your institution, can you explain the steps that have been taken to prevent C. diff infections? Well, I think with a lot of this, it really goes with um, our data out there and what is our rate of C. diff and always benchmarking um, our data compared to your peer-like hospitals to look at it. And two is really looking at our antibiotic use is one of those 
um, steps to look at. Um, what I've actually worked with um, all the critical care teams, whether it be the surgical ICU team, the medical ICU team, the neurocritical care ICU team, or um, the mixed ICU at our um, community hospital, is for people that um, have to have a breathing tube and do they do all of them need to have acid suppression? So really looking at our risk for acid suppressions. Um, out there, as well as working with um, our house cleaning staff, our um, infection control preventionists, and I think also one of our unsung or heroes in the hospital is our house cleaners. They're the ones who are keeping our room clean and working with them and making sure if we do have someone with C. diff in the rooms, um, that they're cleaned appropriately, and we actually use UV light to actually use the ultraviolet light to kill um, the C. diff spores because it's really hard as C. diff spores for you actually to clean them and when it might be appropriate with bleach or not. I can talk all about bleach um, because I think it's my mom's favorite cleaning agent, but she had something to it. So sometimes those old wife tales actually have some science behind it. <laughs> We agree with you on that. And, you know, thank you so much for sharing that, uh, Dr. Gerlich. Dr. Gerlich, can you share with us on how uh, C. diff can be prevented before it occurs? I think that's a great a great question. I think one of the things to look at um, what we can do is, as I said, is really that antibiotic stewardship that I was talking about. Do they, does every patient, are you asking, do they need this antibiotic? Is there a stop date and does that stop date make sense? And we should be doing the same thing every day on every patient with their acid suppression to help um, prevent it before it occurs um, as well is working with the house cleaners and our epidemiologists for people who um, had C. diff to make sure the room is cleaned and all surfaces top to bottom because those are ways that we can actually prevent it. And then if you do have risk factors, are we using the right antibiotics um, out there and are they a candidate for potentially that bezlotoximab for people who might have recurrent? Okay, and Doctor, we have two minutes before we take a commercial break, um, and maybe you can just share a brief overview of what research you think should be addressed. Well, I think with our research that should be addressed is there's a lot what we don't know. I think um, right now we typically have three antibiotics we use to treat C. diff, a drug called metronidazole that goes by the brand name of Flagyl in the United States oral vancomycin and um, deficit or uh, goes by the generic name fidoxamycin. And um, we're starting to see some data out there of what is best for our patients, but I don't think we have the greatest effect. Um, is there a difference between those who are hospitalized versus those in the community um, out there, as well as what can we do to prevent recurrence? Recurrence is something that we typically see in areas um, where I work with people are in the hospital and have risk factors. So is there some difference out there um, with these agents? And I think a lot of people like to talk about fecal microbiota transplants or FMTs, and at least some of the data that we saw um, in the hospitals, if you were hospitalized and you got it versus outpatient, you had a lot um, more failures with the hospitalized patients, which doesn't surprise me because we probably are giving them a lot more broad spectrum or big gun antibiotics. And really looking at these people um, out there who potentially have... Um, might need FMTs, when's the optimal time to get them? Should we wait until they're out of the hospital? Um, mm -hmm. What are some of the adverse effects associated with that? Exactly, exactly. And at this time, Dr. Gerlich, uh, we're going to pause for a commercial break already. And when we return, we will continue discussing pharmacist role in C. diff stewardship with our special guest, Dr. Anthony Gerlich, PharmD. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Thank you. 
Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Join us on Saturday, November 14th at 8 a.m. Eastern Time for the 8th Annual International C. diff Virtual Conference and Health Expo. For details and to register, please visit cdiff2020.com. Again, that's cdiff2020.com. Or contact the C. diff Foundation at 727-205-3922. We look forward to meeting you online on November 14th and meeting you in person in November 2021 in Boston, Massachusetts at the Hilton Boston Logan Airport Hotel. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. listening to C. diff spores and more if you have a question please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org now back to our program here again is your host nancy Kerala. And welcome back to the program, and thanks so much for joining us today. We are here with our special guest, Dr. Anthony Gerlich, PharmD, discussing pharmacist's role in C. diff stewardship. Welcome back to the program, Dr. Gerlich. And thanks for having me yet again. This has been fun. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Meantime, you're educating everyone around the world. So we thank you for doing that today. And you have shared so much information with us. And, Doctor, we really appreciate it. And, you know, earlier you discussed about the proton pump inhibitor. Would you mind reviewing that, reviewing that information again with our listeners? Oh, most, most definitely. Um, any drug that suppresses your stomach from making its acid, such as proton pump inhibitors or H2 antagonists, such as the brand name Pepsid, actually put patients at risk for not only initial, or initial C. diff infection, but recurrence. And I think when they're prescribed, one of the questions you need to ask is, how long should I be taking this? For most indications, it's really going to be a short amount of time. Even as I said, we're talking about someone who might have had gastric ulcers that caused a GI bleed. For the most part, most of those patients are only on those for, you know, three to six months. This shouldn't be something that we take lifelong. And that's probably the most important question to ask is how long do I see taking this? I will say at least here in the United States, what I see is people being put on this for maybe a short period of time in the hospital, but no one going back and say, is this drug really needed after they've left the hospital? I think that's one of the rules that we should always be asking. I wish there were more people like me that could follow up after the patients leave the hospital to really ask these questions and see if it's appropriate or not. But unfortunately, there's just not enough of us clinical pharmacists at the time to do good stewardship when it comes to acid suppression. Okay. Well, thank you so much for that, doctor. And doctor, what questions should patients ask about antibiotic therapy when they get a new prescription? Well, I think number one is, is this really... Do you really think this is a bacterial infection or is this a viral infection? For example, patients who get um, ear infections, especially um, children, we know most of them are actually caused by viruses, and viruses are not killed by any sort of antibiotics. So if there's a good chance that's a virus, then we might not need the antibiotic therapy to begin with. 
in addition, especially those who are in the hospital, how long have I been on therapy for this infection? Um, we, are, we have some data in press that shows for common um, reasons such as pneumonias or urinary tract infections, you really have, um, for the most part, get most of your antibiotics um, completed by the time you're in the hospital. So is this something that I really need? And what's the minimum amount of time do I need to take these antibiotics? I think is always probably appropriate questions for anyone to ask us. Okay, that's wonderful. And doctor, do you have any closing comments before we close the show today? My just one is, uh, for most hospitals, their pharmacists are actually very available. You just need to ask for them. And it's, and it's hard, I understand, because my mom was recently in the hospital, um, especially during COVID, is um, to know who all these people are because people are coming in and out of your rooms. But you can always ask your bedside nurse is probably the best one. Is there someone, I have some questions about medications, and I would like to speak to a pharmacist and having him or her actually call and getting a pharmacist so you can discuss these therapies with them is always a great thing to do. Wonderful. Well, we really, really appreciate you being here today with us, Doctor. And you know, we uh, we've learned a lot from you. And right now, we would like to thank you for joining us today on C diff spores and more. And we're really grateful for your dedication in healthcare, education, health, and wellness community. And Doctor Anthony Gerlich, um, we really thank you again for being uh, a guest on C diff spores and more. At this time, well, thank you. the members. Of- Go ahead. I was just going to say thank you very much, and I hope it was very educational for the audience. Oh, I'm sure it was. Thank you so much, Doctor. And, you know, at this time, the members of the C. diff Foundation would like to thank you and thank our uh, listeners for being with us here today and thank our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare, for supporting this program. We wish to acknowledge the organizations around the globe dedicated to improving health through research and developing new products to address C. difficile infection prevention treatments and protecting the microbiome through clinical trials, diagnostics, and environmental safety products worldwide. To learn more about clinical trials focused on C. diff infections and recurrent C. diff prevention and treatments, please visit the C. diff Foundation's website at cdifffoundation.org and the clinical trials that are in progress. Please help them to help you to help others. To learn more about upcoming events that you will not want to miss out on, please visit our website. We send out our get well wishes to all the patients being treated for and recovering from a C. diff infection and the many wellness draining illnesses being combated across the globe. We also want to say thank you to our uh, diamond sponsor of this year's fourth annual global C. diff awareness virtual walk, Vedanta Biosciences, and this year's eighth annual uh, C. diff conference and health expo is series therapeutics to diamond sponsor we thank you so much for being with us today i'm your host nancy corrala with our reminder none of us can do this alone all of us can do this together we wish you good health continued healing and a good day Thank you for tuning in this week for C. diff, spores, and more. Be sure to join your host, Nancy Kerala, again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 1 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition of our program on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. None of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. together.